In a nationalistic fervor, all of the races and factions of South Africa came together. The Indians stopped their Natal protest. The ANC pledged complete national support for the war effort. The colors of Cape Town gathered in mass, with the crowd being so large the police were called in to control the crowd. And of course, the British white South Africans, pledging support to the motherland. However, this list excluded the Afrikaner Boers. A proclamation on behalf of a provisional government was stated by Second Boer War Afrikaner veteran, Lieutenant Colonel Maritz. The former South African Republic and Orange Free State, as well as the Cape Province and Natal, are proclaimed free from British control and independent, and every white inhabitant of the mentioned areas, of whatever nationality, are hereby called upon to take their weapons in their hands and realize the long-cherished ideal of a free and independent South Africa. Another Second Boer War veteran and hero, General Cus de la Rey, who by this time was a senator, had crossed the border into German Southwest Africa to visit German Major John Kemp. His goal was to defect and call for a rebellion against the Botha government. On the way to the meeting, De La Rey's car was fired upon by a policeman at a roadblock set up to look for a local gang. De La Rey was hit and killed. At his funeral, however, many nationalist Afrikaners believed and perpetuated the rumor that it was a government assassination which added fuel to the fire. The government declared martial law on 12th October 1914 and forces loyal to the government under the command of General Louis Botha and Jan Smuts proceeded to destroy the rebellion. General Maritz was defeated on 24th of October and took refuge with the Germans. The Bayers Commandos, led by General Bayers, was attacked and dispersed at Commissioner's Drift on October 28th, after which Bayers joined forces with Kemp, but drowned in the Vaal River on 8th of December. General De Wetz was captured in Bokwanaland on December 1st, 1914, with 52 others on a farm called Waterbury. His remark when captured was, Thank God it was not an Englishman who captured me after all. The rebellion was quickly put down, and over 1,000 people were killed or wounded. Prime Minister Botha encouraged national reconciliation and often showed mercy to the Boer defectors. Many noted how leniency was given to the white Afrikaners compared to how the government handled the Zulu rebellion of 1906. Afrikaner nationalists continued to celebrate the rebels well into the 20th century, and in August 1915, 7,000 Afrikaner women marched in Pretoria to demand total amnesty. The border between German Southwest Africa and South Africa is the Kalahari Desert, one of the driest places on earth. The South Africans crossed the border, about 3,000 German Schutztruppen, or colonial troops, and 7,000 militia fended off the first South African wave, leading to heavy casualties. Due to delays caused by the Boer Rebellion, the German and Boers launched a counter-invasion, crossing the Orange River. After numerous disagreements between German and Boer commanders, a badly coordinated attack at Uppington in January 1915 was repulsed by South African forces. Prime Minister Botha personally took command of a northern invasion force that landed at the coastal town of Swakopmund. He would be the only Allied Prime Minister to actually fight on the field in the First World War. His aggressive style can be compared to the Blitzkrieg of the Second World War, and a few months later, the colonial capital of Winhold was captured. The German colonial forces soon capitulated and offered terms of surrender. However, Botha was more interested in territorial expansion and continued his invasion. He believed the capture of German Southwest Africa with its large Boer populations could be added to South Africa as a territory. Smuts and Botha also considered taking German East Africa, modern-day Burundi, Rwanda, and Tanzania, located north of South Africa's neighbor, 
the Portuguese Mozambique. They formulated a plan to negotiate with Portugal to cede lands in neighboring Mozambique, which would maximize the industrial Boer homeland of Transvaal, as well as give them the ports of Bera and Maputo, in exchange for German East Africa. This decision, however, was not up to them. Perhaps for their brave efforts and call to arms in defense of the British crown, they would be given the neighboring British colonies of Basutoland, modern-day Lesotho, Bekuanaland, Botswana, and Swaziland. While Botha was capturing Windhoek, General Smuts landed another South African force at the coastal town of Luderitz and advanced inland. After capturing Kitmanshup, Smuts was met by two other South African columns that had pushed up from Port Noloth and Kimberley. After marching along the railway lines toward Beseba, Smuts captured the village of Gibeon. After two days of fighting, German forces retreated north, seeking support from their capital. However, they were met by General Botha instead, where they duly surrendered. Over in German East Africa, after a disastrous British Indian Army amphibious landing in November 1914, South Africa was requested by London to lead the campaign, defeat the German general Paul von Letau Vorbeck, and occupy German East Africa. After two years of decimating the Germans in Southwest Africa, by early 1916, Jan Smuts had succeeded the British general Sir Horace Smith Dorian as commander of the British forces in East Africa, and began replacing British officers with South Africans. Smuts' idea was to do what he had done in Southwest Africa, which had been a massive success, deploy large and fast-sweeping operations that would encircle German forces and avoid high numbers of casualties. However, the South Africans, who come from a climate ranging from desert in the west to temperate in the east, similar to what we have in the southern United States, experienced something they were unprepared for. Jungle warfare. The debilitating effect of the jungle would have disastrous effects on the South Africans. Commanding a force of roughly 40,000 South African and Indian soldiers, Smuts' offensives pushed German guerrilla commander von Leto Vorbeck and his 4,000 men into a slow and determined fighting withdrawal southwards towards the interior of the colony. In May 1916, a force of 3,000 South Africans under a Boer commander threatened a major central railway after capturing the town of Kondoa Irangi. However, due to the rainy season, the force became completely cut off as roads and bridges were swept away. Left to scavenge for food locally, the fall in health and morale was considerable. By the end of June, one-third of the troops were sick, and only 1,000 of the 4,000 horses were fit as the rains, thick jungle, and tropical diseases took hold. Along the coastline, offensives were significantly more successful, with the key port of Dar es Salaam falling by the end of September 1916. Military operations for the interior became increasingly frustrated and hindered by disease. In an environment where vehicles were of limited use, between June and September, over 53,000 drought animals had died from illness, with most South African units losing half their numbers to disease and poor nutrition. By the end of 1916, Smuts was advocating that his ill-suited European troops be replaced by black Africans that could better deal with the harsh conditions. After just six months of the offensive, over 12,000 white South Africans were sent home due to sickness and exhaustion. Smuts, with the campaign stalling, left his East African command after being asked to join the Imperial War Cabinet in London. Although Smuts' offensives had been successful securing three-quarters of German East African territory and its entire infrastructure, von Leto Vorbeck and his small force refused to surrender and continued to engage in a strategy that drew disproportionate amounts of Allied resources away from Europe. During a brief command under British General Reginald Hoskins, the exhausted and derailed campaign underwent mass reorganization and reform. Conscious of the poor health of his men and significant supply problems, 
All offensives were delayed until after the heavy rains. Medical services and transport were improved, lines of communication became better developed, and more European soldiers were replaced with African soldiers, particularly the dramatically expanding King's African Rifles. These men were native Africans from the jungle regions of East Africa. The South Africans were mostly replaced in German East Africa and put on other fronts, including the European Front, where during the Somme Offensive, a white South African brigade reportedly gained a reputation for intimidating Zulu war songs and dances when at the front. During the Somme, they suffered a two-thirds casualty rate. South Africa won great respect for their courage in holding their objective. In Southwest Africa, the South African armies were massively victorious, losing less than 300 soldiers and conquering the German colony rapidly. Although South Africa had desired to incorporate German Southwest Africa into the Union officially, in 1919, the League of Nations granted only a Class C mandate to administer the colony until ready for self-governance. Despite this, Southwest Africa became a de facto fifth province, as well as having representation in the South African Parliament. German East Africa was more inconclusive. Finally, after signing the armistice in Europe, the German guerrilla general, von Leto Vorbeck, finally surrendered. He evaded capture for more than four years. He was massively successful in his strategy, which was never to conquer the massive continent of Africa for the Germans, but to drain Allied resources away from Europe. Von Leto Vorbeck had 14,000 mostly colonial soldiers against the British Empire, who fielded a combined 114,000 European, Indian, and African men, of which 10,000 died mainly from disease, and over 100,000 Africans died of sickness and exhaustion. South Africa's territorial ambitions were not heeded. German East Africa became a British-administered mandate. With a population of roughly 6 million, between 1914 and 1918, over 250,000 South Africans of all races voluntarily served their country. Thousands more served in the British Army directly, with over 3,000 joining the British Royal Flying Corps and over 100 volunteering for the Royal Navy. It is likely that around 50% of white men of military age served during the war, more than 146,000 whites and 83,000 black Africans, and 2,500 colored and Asians also served in either German Southwest Africa, East Africa, the Middle East, or on the Western Front in Europe. Suffering roughly 19,000 casualties, over 7,000 Africans were killed, and nearly 12,000 were wounded during the course of the war. The assistance that South Africa gave the British Empire was significant. Two German African colonies were occupied, either by South Africa alone or with significant South African assistance. Manpower from all races helped Allied operations, not just on the Western Front and Africa, but also in the Middle East against the Ottoman Empire. South Africa's ports and harbors on the home front were a crucial strategic asset when conducting a war on a global scale, providing import rest and refueling stations. The Royal Navy could ensure vital sea lane connections to the British Raj, and the Far East stayed open. Economically, South Africa supplied two-thirds of gold production in the British Empire, with most of the remainder coming from Australia. At the start of the war, Bank of England officials in London worked with South Africa to block gold shipments to Germany and force mine workers to sell only to the British Treasury at prices set by the Treasury. This facilitated purchases of munitions and food in the United States and neutral countries. At Versailles, both Botha and Smuts made great impressions. Botha and Smuts, both former adversaries of the British Empire, and now some of its most important members, defended the Germans at Versailles. They said at Versailles, the Boers were given amnesty, and the Germans must be given the same. If they can recover, they will, and rise with a vengeance. 
The Allies and French especially had suffered four years of bankruptcy and almost complete destruction. They wanted retribution. Botha gave a speech about amnesty to the Germans, which Woodrow Wilson said was the most impressive speech he had ever heard. While participating in the Versailles Conference, Louis Botha got extremely sick. On his way home, he suffered a minor heart attack. He thought that if he went to his country home, he could rejuvenate his health. However, his health continued to deteriorate, and he was taken by the Spanish flu shortly after arriving. The new Prime Minister Smuts was devastated, calling First Prime Minister Luis Botha his greatest friend. However, many of his comrades, the Boers, boycotted his funeral. Luis Botha feared integration of South African blacks. As early as in 1916, black South Africans arrived in France. They would serve in general labor forces. Tests revolved around construction and maintenance of infrastructure related to the war effort, employed in French dockyards, railways, quarries, and logging camps. The native labor corps often won great praise, even from the commander-in-chief of the British Army, Douglas Haig, for their vital contributions to the war effort. The white officers and NCO rigorously enforced racial segregation during their time in France, minimizing European and African contact by operating closed compounds. As dissatisfaction among black Africans grew, a disturbance in July 1917 led to 13 being shot dead by their white officers. British officers increasingly called for black South Africans in France to be given more liberties and be allowed more freedom. In January 1918, Botha unexpectedly announced that the South African Labor Corps would be withdrawn from France and disbanded. Officially, the government claimed that the Corps was to be withdrawn due to threats of enemy submarines to troop ships. It is presumed, however, that having black Africans freely mixing in Europe was becoming too politically embarrassing and risk fomenting African nationalism. Although the colored Indian and black communities had hoped that enthusiastic and genuine support for the war would be opportunity to gain equal status in society, they were to be left bitterly disappointed as they went unrewarded and civil rights continued to be denied to them after the Treaty of Versailles. Unfortunately, due to South African racial policies, Employment support and official gratitude was never given to the colored, black, and Indian racial groups that served. As the Great War concluded, disenfranchisement of non-white South Africans continued. 